0: You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds, presented by Lost Highway Brewing Company. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. Brian Schrader, uh, first and foremost, before we even get this this day going, um, welcome back to Sports Nerds, Brian. Every week. Every week. How you doing? Good. Every week. How How are are you? You know, I rain or shine. Rain or shine, we're here. We do it. This is Sports Nerds, folks. If you've never found us before, if this is your first foray into what the nerds of sports do, you are listening to myself, Dr. Samuel J. And what's your name?
1: Brian Schrader.
0: Dr. Brian Schrader. Esquire. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You never call yourself that.
1: I don't. I, uh, why? I, it always just results in a longer conversation than I want to have.
0: Hey, what is, okay. What does that conversation look like? Are you, can you, are can you map that out? A
1: medical doctor? No, I'm not. What are you a doctor of? I have a PhD, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> just easier to not.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. You should be proud of that. You know, like 500 years ago, we were a big deal. Yeah. Well, a thousand years. A thousand ago, years ago. Was a really big deal. So we've we've kind of obviously lost a little bit of that social yeah. importance, I mean, But uh,
1: it was a lot of work. <laughs>
0: I can tell you that. It's like a marathon, yeah. you know. It's just um it's other like people rides. are more fun to watch. You know, the sprinters are more fun to watch, but uh, the marathon runners. You know, they shut the city down for us. I like so, that. It's a big deal. You like that? Hey, if you should make on a T-shirt. Is- no, it's not. That is not. That is not being handed over to uh, no credit is given there to Mike <laughs> Che for, for that line. I just came up with that. See, I've had one coffee. I've had a. I have a. I've had a quadruple espresso in me. I'm ready. You got to, go. teach class I'm ready to rock. Don't waste all the
1: ins- on on the sports nerd audience or do.
0: I have to. My class is so great this this uh, this semester this summer. Shout out to to the class. Um, they're extremely engaged in sports talk, Good. sports ball. So. Uh, even those who have no idea what sports are, which is uh, can you believe? Fun. Can you believe Mixed this? Uh, I have to pause real quick hey, and get um, your thoughts
1: on this Germany loss. If you're if you're listening live, you know Germany just uh, lost to South Korea, and doesn't doesn't.
0: I, well, you oh you were. I'm just going to bring. Should
1: we, up. should we circle back? Oh, you were not going to not.
0: No. <laughs> no, that was perfect. You, that was a great transition. I'm very happy that you did that. So, okay, Germany lost. You're watching it. I mean, Germany kind of have. They have not been fantastic this World Cup at all. They've been not impressive. You, can, you might say bad. I would say bad. I was more shocked by Mexico losing by three. I, I know. I understand they were in a power position. They didn't have to necessarily That's do weird. a lot, but they yeah. They just kind of laid a major egg. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. And maybe they did it on purpose. I don't know, but I guess they shouldn't have. You.
1: You're to to take a a brief side side track a, a tangent. Mm-hmm. Tangent. Um, tangent. You're, 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 I mean, you're, you're, you're getting into soccer over the last couple of years, but you're not like historically a big soccer dude. Correct. I, d- I can't remember if they always do this because it's every four years. Where on the last the last game in group play, they play the two games in every group at the exact same time, or have they done this the entire time? I cannot remember. It's so cool because you have both games going on at the same time. Where if they played them in sequence. Like the result of the first game could make the second game irrelevant. Yeah. Or, or if you played the first game first, the second game could still matter. But at least those teams then know what the stakes are here. They have no idea what the stakes are. Yeah. I, I may sound like an idiot. If you're a bigger World Cup fan, maybe they do this all the time. Yeah, folks. I've, t- I've totally spaced it out from four years ago.
0: So if you're watching, or, or maybe it's, I'm, I'm usually
1: like more US centric in my viewership. And now I'm just kind of an equal opportunity watcher. But I love these, this, this, the way these third, uh, third games are going, going on when they, and perhaps they've done this throughout the group play, and I just haven't paying that close of attention.
0: No, they've, they've it. staggered awesome. them. They had not been going on at the same time. Um, but I understand what you're saying. This kind of last game, uh, which oftentimes they do matter, they are playing them simultaneously. So I don't know if somebody's following us right now and knows uh, the answer. But so we're
1: watching this morning, right? Like Germany's playing South Korea and Mexico's playing Sweden, and Mexico's got six points and they almost don't make it in if Germany wins against south korea but they don't and then sweden wins i mean it's, it was it was it was incredibly dramatic to watch it play out like that between the two games knowing that the other side probably has no idea what's going on in the other games someone out there's like you idiot that's how they always do it but whatever i'm, I'm engrossed by the drama of, of the entire thing but yeah no that that group was bizarre because you see germany and mexico in that group and i don't know at least i was like those are probably the two teams that are going to make it through and you're right germany just laid an egg. They lost one zero to Mexico, and then they lost two nothing to South Korea. Though I left before the second goal, I don't even know where that one
0: came from. Must have been late in stoppage time. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It, oh yeah, it was un. un yeah.
1: And so, so Germany beats Sweden, right? Three to nothing, right? Or two to nothing? And everyone thinks they're back they're back alive. Like, Oh, Germany's come back to form. And then they lose, they lose this game to South Korea. It was bizarre. And 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 truthfully it's possible that this day plays out a little bit differently where um, Germany beats South Korea uh, and, and Mexico loses by virtue of a goal differential, right? That there would be three teams with six points. It would have been Mexico, Sweden, and Germany, all with six points. Um, and by goal differential, Mexico would have been out. And truthfully that would have been an equally crazy storyline to me that both of those teams seem like, um, you know, octa final round of 16 whatever you want to call it quality teams but weird weird stuff going on i mean yesterday argentina almost misses we could talk about the world cup forever but
0: no i know uh, argentina just kind of snuck in there you and i had talked previous uh, in the week kind of thinking argentina was out but again just kind of a uh, setup of the other games got them in there so uh, the only big surprise thus far is really not seeing germany in the knockout round but i'm um, trying to think who's going to play this afternoon that's going to matter it starts here in 45 minutes but
1: it's it's brazil Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, and Costa Rica with four points, four points, three points, and zero points. So yeah, these games will definitely matter too, which is awesome. So we got to be done by two Eastern. Hey, let me ask you another soccer question really quick. What do you think of this VAR, the virtual refereeing review system or whatever? I don't know. I don't know what it sounds. It seems
0: for. like, you know what? They seem to have it figured out a little bit better than some of the American sports that use uh, replay. It seems to be way more I like to cut to
1: that, that war room. Yes, Exactly. They're like 12 dudes and they're trying to figure like it that.
0: out. I like the fact that the light goes on. They're not cool. like under a uh, a blanket watching the review. They are, you know, they're, they're watching a very big screen. It's a clear exactly. box.
1: Yeah, big screen. Why, why the blanket? I don't know. The blanket, all the blanket ever did in the NFL was lead to stupid jokes where, where my buddy used to always say, I think you know, shout out to Jared Ellis. He'd always made a joke that the NFL ref would go under the hood there to look at the replay and it was just like a mob boss being like, you know, pick the right one, or or you know, you're gonna sleep with the fishes. It is
0: really like that. silly that they would do that. So I mean, it, has to, it has to have nothing to do. With- or is the
1: is the picture quality that bad? Or something? That's what I
0: was thinking. Like, is it because of glare? Because you know, they make TVs now that make it a little bit easier to limit that glare. Yes. So,
1: shout out Sunbright. They make outdoor TVs for that purpose. It's so bizarre, so weird. No, I mean, I just wonder if people hate this or like this or or whatever. Because you've had a lot of weird over. Like, should there have been a penalty? Should there not have been offsides, onsides? Right there was a goal earlier that was uh, uh, the, the one, excuse me, the, the Germany South Korea one got reviewed. It was originally called offsides and they got it right through the, the VAR, but there've there been other calls that, that people are still pissed about that aren't being overturned or uh, you know, are being upheld in ways that people disagree with. I don't know. It definitely changes the the pace of the game in weird ways. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in baseball, I'm kind of on board um, because I think getting it right matters a lot, but I also think it took, like it changed the sort of tone and texture of the game. Are you waving at me or are you waving at someone else? Uh, i just
0: waving at whoever there is watching oh. us. Hey, Grammars? How are we doing, Grammars? Good to see you. It seems to come at, uh, yeah, it does disrupt the flow a little bit of the game. I totally agree. Though it um, seems to be pretty quick. They, but, it's
1: weird to me that, like, as soon as a controversial play happens now in the World Cup, the players. Instead of getting the the long drawn out arguments we've had before, they just rush up and they're like, you're going to check that, right? And the ref's like, yeah, sure, I'll check it or whatever. And that seems to be the conversation. Though, as a result of plays, even though they've been reviewed on this VAR system, we have had some weird scuffles and stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, another example that that people, if you're listening or into the World Cup, might be thinking of is there was a review on this Ronaldo kind of elbowed a dude in the face a little bit. And uh, from my perspective, from where I sit, it looked like he was trying to elbow him and missed. So I'm okay with a yellow card, but that got reviewed and people were pissed off that it wasn't a red card after the fact. The coach from Iran
0: was was really upset about that. Hey, we have a whole other, uh, two weeks to talk about soccer. I don't mean to cut you off. You don't want to just hear my. No, we've just never had. We have never had fans, listeners, ask us to do a show on a specific topic. Huh. And I thought, you know what? Let's, let's do them right. Let's, let's do them right. Do, you know, do let's find right those. Maybe is what I'm up saying. Before we jump into that topic, though, I do want to. I'm going to ask you about a couple of things before we get into that. But we will be talking about youth sports today. Brian and I were asked by a couple of listeners earlier last week to do a show just on youth sports and our take on youth sports. And then we actually got some some really good questions this morning from folks who listen to the show. Again, uh, you can reach us. The best way to reach us is probably through Twitter. We tend to check those messages very often, and that's just uh, at underscore sports nerds. We're also on Instagram at sports and then many of you are watching right now, it appears on Facebook, and that is fb.me slash sports nerds. And so you can go on there, you can, uh, you can watch at least on Facebook, our old videos, All, some of that stuff is on YouTube as well. Uh, we are trying to boost our YouTube subscribership so we can uh, customize our link. So if you're not a follower on YouTube yet, we, if you could find sports nerds it would be much appreciated and really the easiest way to do that is probably just to go to our facebook page and on the left hand side there you can see a youtube link click on that it'll take you where you need to go you can subscribe and we would love you forever for that Uh, we sent out some koozies last week to people around the world literally sent some to a dude in canada and then in the uk so uh thanks to instagram and the engagement we're getting on there i think we our brand is uh definitely i don't want to say exploding brian but it is uh, expanding. Percolating. So, Expand. Percolating. Things are I, looking good. And that's all because of fantastic fans. <laughs> so thanks everybody for helping us out. Do you have us on Facebook? Right now? I don't see it. Yeah, you're I there. You. I can Perfect. see it. Good. Just try right. just, just, invite Brian Schrader. No, 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 no. no invite invite Schrader. Brian Schrader. I just don't see no, it. No. Just, we are I'm getting. At these, uh, oh, man. Um, Jorge Macias says the ref should have reviewed the penalty against Mexico. The player from Sweden leaned into the defender. Yeah, they lost that game by yeah, or lost. Well, I guess it lost by three.
1: You, you you could be total. You could be totally right. I mean that's that's a legitimate that's a legitimate question about like when it gets used. I mean i was sort of joking before, but it is bizarre. Like should you be able to what in baseball you have a certain number of challenges, right? In football you have a certain number of challenges. Here it seems like I'm not totally sure where it's coming from. Someone more in the know probably knows. Maybe they'll answer that for
0: Just kind of anything that's questionable, yeah, it seems to be uh, brought under review. Okay, so before we get into our youth sports thing, I wanted to ask you, you had sent me an article about uh, a few thoughts about MLB expansion, realignment, and scheduling. And Al Yellen had wrote this uh, for basically the Cubs version of Sports Nation. And so I wanted to just ask you, in particular, why were you most interested in this article?
1: Oh, this is interesting. And this is um, uh, a shout out to the kind of the, uh, the original source it was a Jason Stark article that you wrote for the athletic, but it's, it's hidden behind a paywall. And so I didn't want to give him five bucks. Um, you should though, because uh, based on the article I sent you, the, uh, the original article was, was pretty awesome, but this sort of makes the argument or envisions the world where if we assume that expansion is inevitable, that we're going to get to two more teams um, and we'll have, you know, equal uh E- equal teams on both sides that are, um, you know, not, I guess 15 is not a prime number, but are more equally divisible. If we go to 16 teams in the AL and the NL, what what sort of um, realignment will that sort of, um, not necessarily require, but will will it probably make a lot of sense in, in the world of that realignment, right? So if we have um, a couple expansion teams, we'll have 16 AL and 16 NL teams, and it'd be possible to you know, uh, go to four team divisions, uh, all across major league baseball. It might change the number of teams that, um, we have in the playoffs. You could go to a 16 team playoff, for example, and that would, um, make a lot of sense. It might have some impact on uh, the DH, whether or not the, we have a DH in all of baseball or a DH in none of baseball. And so uh, this article just sort of unpacks what are what, what are the ways that that realignment could look like, right? There's one version of it that looks like um, a, most of the NL teams stay in kind of uh, a, a, what is a National League and most AL teams stay in an, an American League. But there's also one that um, re, re, uh, re, redesigns or realigns the entirety of baseball along geographic lines. So it becomes much more Regionalized, which also sounds really, really cool to me. The argument against this, I guess, is that it would end up doing away with a bunch of rivalry games, like the Giants wouldn't play the Dodgers or the Yankees wouldn't play the Red Sox, or at least not in 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 the the, the new realigned um, divisions or whatever. And I truthfully expected to read this article, and there's there's a ton more in here, um, and I'm sure the Jason Stark article is, is at least as good, if not a, a better read. Um, but uh, it's it's really it's really interesting, like some of the changes that they're saying, and these would be like a decade out, and they're not. Like on the table at this point, but it sounds like they're being talked about at a pretty high level um, inside of Major League Baseball. It's something that the the new commissioner Rob Manfred wants to see happen, um, I guess. So, um, I mean, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of things that we could ask. Like, would you be okay with realigning these divisions? Would you be okay with shortening the season and going to an expanded playoff? Would you be with designated hitter um, uh, being the sort of universal rule? If we had expansion teams, where would you want to see them go? I mean, this kind of unpacks. Would it be cool to have a, a a major league team in Portland or in Charlotte or should Montreal get a team back after um, losing the Expos all those years ago? So I don't know um, too much, probably to to totally unpack here. I'm curious what your reaction to, to it has been after giving it a read, but I'll be honest. My, the short version of my reaction is I thought I would hate everything in here and I sort of dig it.
0: I think it would be kind of cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how they cut it all up. I, uh, I'm, I'm down with that. I like the NL Mid-East Division too, which has really, hasn't changed yeah, that, whatsoever. Yeah, that's in that second um, version of the, of Carter, the
1: realignment where uh, many divisions yeah. look the same that they look now with just some, some slight changes.
0: One of these days we need to get on here and have an a, a in-depth conversation about the DH because I know where you stand on it, and I think I'm moving a little bit more towards your stance on it. Um, it seems like I've watched a lot of uh, really shitty NL baseball lately and i mean when you're given a guaranteed out every nine at-bats or you know nine times through, or nine guys through the lineup uh it, it does uh, begin to hinder the game a little bit even in a town like denver which is basically just a little well, pad,
1: would be a, better, would be a way better team with the dh
0: so but again we'll do that uh,
1: there are other nl teams that might be the same or potentially worse depending on where you play and how well your pitchers hit
0: yes like, they they absolutely would for sure. Yeah, I uh,
1: we you know we read this we did this article what two weeks ago where, that just sort of made the argument that sabermetrics has already largely limited what managers do or at the very least changed what managers do. But I think there's an argument that says that managers do far less that they than they used to. We carry uh, way more pitchers than we than we did before and fewer bench players, and so you're not making a ton of calls. You're not calling. Hit and runs or steals; those things are down in a statistically significant way. So, the one of the main arguments I hear in favor of the DH—I know you don't want to have this debate now—but but is that the, 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 it's a tougher league to manage in because you it's a it's a harder decision when to to pull a pitcher, right? When to make do you pull a pitcher who's doing well because you have an opportunity to score a run, or do you you know send that pitcher up knowing that they might generate an out and kill a rally that you have going on, knowing that you want to keep that pitcher in? And I get that that calculus is harder than what you see in the, in the AL in most situations. The exception being if you do a double swap with a DH, you can theoretically lose it. But um, I, I, I think that argument is not as persuasive as I w- I like watching offensive rallies and I hate watching them get sort of stopped dead in their tracks by pitchers who couldn't hit in, you know, high school, let alone college
0: or the pros. It certainly does uh, disrupt the flow of the game uh, in baseball when you have that happen. And it it happens at least once or twice every game, I would argue. You get a guy up there that's just a guaranteed out, and that that does.
1: Can I say this too? If we got rid of the DH, or excuse me, if we got rid of, uh, if we had the DH everywhere and pitchers didn't hit anymore, you know what phrase that you would never, ever, ever have to hear in baseball again that I fucking hate? Tell me. Oh, he's helping his own cause. Yeah, I know. Anytime a pitcher gets a hit, it's like a, it's like a requirement. Point. He's helping his own cause. You house. have to say, oh, he's helping his own cause. Isn't he always helping his own cause? Like when he strikes somebody out, isn't that helping very his own cliche.
0: cause? It's very cliche. Uh, you don't like cliches. I've noticed there's a lot of sayings you don't much care for. So cheers to you. Are, Are there more? Hard. Is there a list? I'm glad you're open about it and honest. Yeah, <laughs> because now, now I'm going to be more cognizant of the things that I say repeatedly. Well, listen,
1: when I tell you the phrases I don't like, I'm helping my own cause. I guess, whatever the fuck <laughs> that means.
0: Clear, yeah, <laughs> clarifying things for, for your co-host. Sure. Hey, before we move into the youth sports conversation, it's funny, I just got a text from, from the, Marcus, the German neighbor. Um, he works at Tyson Group, which is a, a, obviously, they're known for their elevators. So I'm sure you've seen vans driving around every major city here in the States, but also around the world. You where know, They service, create, what, build elevators. But They also have a, a fertilizer company and some, they do some tech stuff. But anyhow, They are a German company. And uh, he sent me a picture earlier this morning. They had the the match on in all the (laughs) conference rooms in the office. And he said nobody was working. They were just there. And apparently now there's just a cloud. Just everybody's just the the entire office, which, I mean, Dude, nationalism in sports, man. This is the time every four years that we see it more than anything else. But let's save that conversation. I think we'll save that conversation maybe for next week because there is an article that you and I picked up from uh, from Al Jazeera um, that talks about what the the things the Kremlin is doing right now in Russia as people are consuming a vast or massive amounts of, of, of soccer, but we'll get to that next week for now. Uh, you sports. Okay. Let's, uh, let's dive right into this conversation. I mean, I think you and I probably come at youth sports from the same perspective in the sense that we see it as this tool or technology for governance, right? It becomes a way through which we can create citizens, The kind of citizens that we appreciate, Uh, we we can create uh, gendered identity or raced identity or class identity through sports. I mean, a great example of that would be just just, you know, watch uh, go to a bar and watch, uh, you know, watch the the Mexico game, which I was last weekend. I was at a bar in the morning watching the Mexico game. right? And there's there's so much class and race that is just played out in how people actually perform uh, their uh, their kind of understanding and their consumption of that sport, but I think when it comes to youth sports the the the, the articulation of those identities, the articulation of culture through the the playing of uh, youth sports, the coaching of youth sports is often overlooked because we kind of think of it as this thing that 's pure it 's not solid by money and such but uh I mean, think about things like teamwork and and Respect and uh, uh, you know patience. All of these things. You can go to a youth soccer match and consider how those three things are played out every match in the shaking of hands, in the uh, the, the maybe the physical nature or the lack thereof of the game. All of these things, right, are are, are training bodies, are training people for long time, long term. Uh, a kind of awareness of self or lack thereof that uh, starts at sports. And so that's just my take on it. I want to pass it on to you. Then we'll have to obviously answer some questions, but I mean, you see it, you've seen it, you know, your kids are a tad bit older than me and they're, you know, uh, then, you're, they're, then you are, then you are your kids. Yeah. Sorry. Then, then your are <laughs> my kids. Uh, there you go They're I'm just a little bit older than them. If you can't tell yeah. by my <laughs> grizzled face, but I mean, w- when you, when you, when you see, you see these sports play out, I mean, is this, uh, this is a relatively new thing and it's like organized sports and all this, we can assume it's only, you know, 30, 40 years old. And is that, is that influencing the kind of citizens that we see uh, existing now? Or the, the yeah, kind of no, athletes?
1: I, I think everything you said is true. I do, I do think that people may not notice it, right. That all of those things are going on, but that's even itself kind of bizarre because it's the way that we sell you sports, right? We tell um, parents say like, oh, I want my kids to play sports in part because they'll get exercise or whatever, but also they'll learn the value of leadership or the value of teamwork and the be, ability to be a, a good loser and to not be a bad winner and to help somebody up. And when they fall down, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff like that's that's foregrounded when we when we say we want our kids to play youth sports. It's It's not really understood to be like sort of a, a, a tangential benefit right or a, an auxiliary benefit not that's not the right word but it's not it's not a secondary benefit but rather it's the reason that we do it right and this is this has changed right you said the youth sports hasn't been around all that long but it's certainly changed probably even in our lifetimes and certainly within the last you know 50 or 60 years where um Coaching your kids or encouraging your kids to go out there and win has given way to what a lot of people sort of hate, but the, the kind of participant trophy model of sports where we're not keeping score and we don't really care who wins and loses, and we're all winners because we play together, et cetera, et cetera. Those changes in in what youth sports is, the dynamic of youth sports are largely about what what you're talking about, right? That it's not the value of sport qua sport, meaning you're not there's nothing inherent about swimming or playing soccer or playing golf that is of value to your kids but rather it's that extra stuff right it's the value of um competition or the value of learning to work with other people or all that all that stuff that i that i listed before that's certainly about governance that it's about teaching our kids how to understand the world and interact within it it's life lessons for when they go to school and later on when they get jobs that that, that that's what we're deriving um from from sports that being said i think there are still people who are in it to to win it right and, and And that, that can be problematized as well. Um, But it's, it's interesting to sort of parse those two kind of um, reasons why we might put our kids in sports or encourage them to
0: play sports. So if you could, if you could, you know, explain or articulate your, uh, the problems that you see with how youth sports are set up now in terms of governance and obviously how they influence uh, citizenship, can you, aside from what you've kind of laid out, what other things do you automatically see? Because... I mean, there are those uh, surface level, superficial values that like teamwork and sharing or whatever. um, I need to pay more attention to my children's sports. Are there other things that are maybe a little bit under the surface that we need to pay attention to? Like standing for the national anthem or um, uh, uh, what else would be out there? Um, I mean. I mean that—that that is definitely there participation. That was one of the questions that came. This
1: up. is this is this this is, this is a joke that I'll probably get yelled at for making. But uh, they they always do the national anthem at my kids' swim meets, and they play it over a loudspeaker. It's like a recording, and then everybody claps. I always thought that you were clapping for the performer. Should we clap for the recording? Wait, you don't find that as funny as I well, do. Okay i guess sorry this is apropos of nothing we don't even have to talk about that i thought i thought when you clapped the national anthem it was like good job to the people singing it or the people playing it, it just God. it's also if we're gonna play a recording of it why aren't we playing like the Jimi hendrix version or something cool we're playing like a pretty boring one
0: that is true it is because
1: hopefully none of my fellow swim moms and dads listen to this podcast i'm gonna get taken to task so here, in, here you're in, gonna in, keep- in michigan no you're 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 right about that right like the 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 performance of the national anthem, um, the, the other stuff that we already listed, I think happens across youth sports and that we could call kind of problem one, uh, problem two is that within youth sports, that there are different sort of levels or, or, or gradations of what those sports are and what people want out of them that I think reify other sort of social problems right we've got the difference between a competitive and a travel team versus you know a more i don't know what a good word for it is a more casual sort of play sort of team there's definitely an element of, of money inside of even youth sports which is kind of scary right like if you think your kid's gonna play high level basketball then they need to be on an aup team or if they're gonna be a high level swimmer they need to swim you know private at a good private club in the in the uh, in the winter right as opposed to just in the
0: summer okay so if yeah um that's the, I want to. The money thing is really interesting to me because we'll we want our kids to participate in these organized sports, and we understand the value of sports and how they are. Uh, they can be very beneficial in teaching us the right lessons about things. But if you are a parent who cannot afford to put your kids in these organized leagues, you're kind of fucked, right? Which is really interesting to me because I mean, look at Denver. You lived here long enough. There are leagues uh, across the metroplex. That cost a lot of money to put your kids into. So what happens if your kid is a really, really good soccer player or a really good basketball player, but you can't afford to put them in a league? Like that automatically puts you behind the curve, right? That automatically harms you. And we don't even think about these things, especially in big cities, because they're just expected that you put your kids in this stuff. I mean, are you do you see that in Michigan at all or is it a little bit more – yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, it, and I think it's happening at younger and younger ages. I don't know. When I was a kid, it seemed to me that that people were really seriously playing, um, you know, kind of uh, competitive soccer or travel team soccer, you know, when they were uh, maybe 11, 12, 13, around that age, kind of gearing up for high school or something like that. Um, out here, I mean, you can have your kid in <laughs> outrageously expensive uh competitive travel soccer team or a competitive baseball team or or hockey's huge out here, and that's probably even more expensive than the other two um combined. But you can have them playing um that 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 high level competitive, expensive soccer at, you know, age six or seven. Um and, and they have to try out. They have to get on these teams too. So there's both a tryout thing. And there's also a, a, a money thing that's involved though. I had a conversation with my neighbor about this since now, our, now both of our neighbors have been referenced in the, in the pod for today. Check that off. If you're playing podcast bingo. Um But uh yeah, this dude uh, was telling me that he was, I mean, he was a college soccer player, but he said he played with um, some big name soccer players who I won't name here, who, there it was a lot of networking and do you have connections sort of stuff going on, right? More than it was how good you are.
0: What's kind of ironic with, with that is we tell our kids to have fun right we tell them to enjoy the sport to have fun even with the participation ribbons which is a major criticism of youth sports that everybody gets a participation ribbon but we will tell them you know go you go you have fun you do all this but in fact so much of the fun and the playfulness has been removed from youth sports just by putting them into these leagues or you know our kids have to be uh in in swim lessons at DU University of Denver if they want to be on the DU swim team. That's way different than going and spending 2 hours at the pool every day and just swimming for fun. And so it's 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 there's so much irony in how we treat the young athletes who participate in these sports and what we're actually trying to get from them or or the things that we as parents actually um kind of give value to and our performativity of of parenthood and, and engagement in these leagues. It's just youth sports are kind of, uh, they're just way different, even from when you and I were kids, you know, and we grew up in very, very different backgrounds, but I mean, still like, you know, little league was fun. You know, it wasn't like uh, you had to be, you didn't get that. It was not until you got to middle school or high school that you started participating in Babe Ruth baseball or something like that. And even then that wasn't that expensive. It was very accessible. I guess it did come down to being able to travel and all of these things, but at least there was an outlet at that age for organized sport that was free, whether it be through your middle school, your high school, or, you know, whoever ran the T-ball kind of uh, program, but I don't know what, well,
1: I think maybe what's happened is that there's been a split, right? That you've had one, you know, like there's a bifurcation where, on the one hand, we've got more of the participation, everybody should get to play. It's about learning life skills, not about the sport and the competition you know, in and of itself. And then the other split has gone hard, the opposite direction. And they're sort of like mutually reinforcing themselves into opposite, into their opposite corners, right? It's very polarizing that the one gets more and more participation ribbon E and the other one gets more expensive and more, um, you know, it has this element of it's supposed to be a meritocracy, but maybe even that's, you know, that combined with money is how you end up following along that track. And this is something else that's important too. We've talked about this on the podcast that I think, um, you know, for, I think we were a product of a generation um, may, may, maybe some people around our age were already doing this, but it was a newer thing when we were young. I feel like, but we're definitely children of a generation who grew up where our athletes and our big stars who played pro football and pro baseball were all you know two and three and four sport athletes. You know what I mean? They were not specialists in high school or maybe even in college, right? I mean, like it's a, it's no wonder we don't have uh, any more Dion Sanders is or. Uh, Bo Jackson's, right? The closest example we have is the the quarterback from Seattle who played baseball for, for the Rockies. But mostly what you have is kids um, figuring out what sports they want to specialize in or their parents figuring that out for them at super duper young ages, right? Like it's more often to say, oh, I think that your best chance is to be a hockey player and I want to you know, push you to, to, to hopefully grow up and be a good high school or college or maybe even professional hockey player. So that's what we're doing, right? We're going to do it year round. Oh, you want to play baseball? That's fine. You're going to have a travel team uh, in the summer. You're going to play normal spring and fall ball and in the winter – you know, we'll do strength and conditioning at the gym or something. I don't know. We're going to go, we'll rent a batting cage and, or I'll build one in the backyard. But that specialization early on, I think is a weird thing. I think it's probably the last, you know, 20 years or 25 years that you've had this, not, not that people didn't specialize somewhat, but that they, that, that were, that were forcing the decision to be made at age eight or nine or 10 or something like that. Like, Oh no, you're a basketball player now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it eliminates the experimentation of trying to figure out what sport you want. And at age 12, like, do you honestly know what sport you, you enjoy most or or what you're going to enjoy most when you're 16 or 18? No, I, I I fully agree. I mean, I guess to me, the takeaway from what we've talked about thus far is just that parents kind of suck. We're ruining everything. You know, the adults that run these leagues that, um, you know, that can be athletic directors at high schools. Uh, the emphasis that has been placed on sports by adults has to be hurting the 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 experience for children, um, you know, at a very young age to, and that's very problematic to me. That's very, it's, that's, that's really messed. I mean, what, I guess to you, to, to me, I want to ask you, um, I have some issues with participation and, and the idea of, you know, giving out participation ribbons. I'm not one of those zealots who think, Oh, you're on ruining America because of the of participation, but I understand that criticism. I do get it. Like, what is it teaching the kids about failure and all and this stuff? Like to me, the participation ribbon is, is a, is a tool put in place by adults to make themselves feel less shitty when their kids Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. It
1: doesn't. I don't think, I don't think it's teaching them a bad lesson. I don't think that kids are leaving you sports thinking everybody wins and it's and that, and that they're like confused that competition still exists but I do think that there's an age where you don't necessarily need to enforce the value of hard work to to get a result, right? I mean, like my four-year-old swam in his first swim meet yesterday and could not be more proud of his participation ribbon, right? And that's what it says participant on, I mean, and he freaking loves that thing, right? And he's four. I don't care. I don't think he's like being conditioned to not be a good athlete at this point. I think he's rather being encouraged to want to go back and swim some more. Right? Does that make sense? He really wants to swim again on Thursday, so he can get so he can get another another ribbon. I think it's that you know little kids like like shiny objects, and a participant ribbon um, is is a is a shiny object. You know?
0: Is it eliminating the value of failure or perseverance, or or at that age does that not matter anyway? Like, is that too young?
1: I mean, let's paint it the the flip side. What if what if you're, what if we don't have participation ribbons, and, and not your kid, but a kid is doing great and winning all the time right? And they're constantly bringing home first place trophies at the expense of other kids, right? All these other kids are crying because they're not getting any sort of trophy and your kids getting that first place trophy. What happens when your kid starts to not get that trophy, right? Does that make sense? I don't, I don't think I was going to be like a pro soccer player or anything like that, but I always thought I was pretty good. And then once I got to high school and it was like, you know, a a small fish in a big pond sort of thing, like it was difficult for me to, to not be as good as I had been. On, on my youth teams growing up, or even there, I wasn't the best or anything like that. Don't doesn't, doesn't the first place ribbon only sort of say there's only reward if you get that trophy? Whereby once your kids face adversity, maybe they're not going to be like, oh, I should work harder to get that trophy. They might be like, well, I didn't get a trophy, so screw it. I think that's, I'm not saying that's true, but I'm saying it's as cogent of an argument as why handing out participation trophies kills any sense of competitive drive. I don't think it does that.
0: Is there a certain age do you think that you got that participation ribbons need to to stop?
1: Yeah, well I mean I think yeah. at a certain age kids understand what a participation trophy means and they don't place much value in it. I mean by contrast my 4-year-old who got his participation ribbon yesterday, my daughter who's 7 understands that participation trophy means you lost. But she's not fooled by it at age 7. She knows because there there's also first place and second place and third place ribbons. And after after fourth it's participant. She understands participation trophy means you didn't win right so i I, mean, I i don't think it's i don't think it's doing i i i will i will make a more totalizing statement i don't think it's doing any damage at all
0: how much of you sports are just the uh uh it's just parents kind of um injecting their own uh uh what's the word i'm looking for um regret in their kids like is that is that a hollywood storyline that we play up too much or do you think i mean have you seen that as a parent that parents actually do this stuff definitely
1: Yeah, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, I think, I think that I see that person all the time, right? I'm sure you've seen this movie as a movie buff. Have you seen uh, Napoleon Dynamite? Like there's a million, you've never met Uncle Rico in real life, right? If I could just go back into high school and coach would have put me in in the fourth quarter, I know we would have won state. I would have gone pro, right? I think there's tons of people who are Uncle Rico and the people who push their kids too hard, a lot of them are just Uncle Ricos with kids. Right. Who are like, I'm going to live vicariously through you and I'm going to, you know, no, ki- no kid, at least not a you know, four or five year old wants to be a pro athlete. That's something they get, you know, enculturated into them, I assume.
0: I just worry that youth sports has gotten to such a level now across the entire country that it's kind of it's hurting just being a kid. You know, like I think about my, my kids schedule and I understand like getting them into things is important because otherwise they get bored sometimes, but it's also like, man, that's a lot of effort, uh, required of them to be in swimming, to be in soccer, to be in gymnastics and all of this stuff. as a parent. It's difficult because what happens if you miss out on that opportunity for your kid to play a sport? And then when they come 12, 13, 14 years old, they don't have the basic fundamentals of that sport, which actually brings me, that's a actually interesting uh, question because uh, one of our other listeners, Telly Zunica asked, when do we, when should kids begin to play full contact football? And the reason why he asked that is because what if, right, you were an extremely talented kid and you, you missed that opportunity to play football because your parents didn't want you to, and you kind of missed the boat because by the time you're 18, um, everybody else has expanded their skills around you and you just don't have that outlet, which I, which I get, like, that's a, that's a relevant criticism of the move towards being overly safe about our kids, uh, of health. So I guess, I mean, we could apply it to other sports like, you know, what if we missed the boat on it, dude, it's just, and then you add in, you add in how much college costs anymore. And so many parents, even now I see this talking about, you know, putting their kids in organized soccer. So that way there's a chance their kid has a scholarship or the same thing with swimming. I mean, we're talking about five, six year old kids, but the parents are being extremely serious when they say this. And I mean, there's just so many problems. And again, it's not at all centered uh, or, or, or beginning at the level of the, of the kid. It's the parents, the adult, it's the system that makes this stuff possible. And it's just, I mean, it can be really, really depressing, I guess uh, when we talk. about
1: No, I think that, you know, with regard to like the, when should you start playing football question, all the arguments about technique seem bogus to me. Cause if you've ever watched like peewee football, it's not like they're learning even the fundamentals very well. And that's not a, that's not a dig at football. It's true of soccer too, right? Watching five and six and seven year olds, even sometimes nine and 10 year olds play soccer is, is soul crushing because it's so bad, right? Which is, that's not why you're doing it to watch good soccer. You're doing it. So your kids go and exercise and they meet people and they, you know, and they get to have fun. That's why, that's why you should ultimately, um, be doing it but i would say this too that if if the concern is getting a kid a scholarship that um, a good athlete is a good athlete sort of regardless of the sport right does that make sense and if you give them a well-rounded background in athletics if they do gymnastics and they swim and they play basketball and maybe they play touch football if they end up having an aptitude or a a bend toward a particular sport they're going to make it and a really good example of this is khalil mack who's a linebacker for the raiders who played like two years of college football, didn't play a, a down of high school football and got drafted in the first round, right? If you're an athlete, you're an athlete. If you've got the size and the aptitude to play a sport and you're athletic enough, they'll, they'll make that happen, right? I mean, then this goes back to that sort of three-sport mentality that you didn't have specialists back then maybe you know john elway was a better football player than a baseball player but he you know could have gone pro in both of those things and was a legit a, a legit two star athlete and i suspect in high school he probably also wrestled, wrestled or played basketball if we looked up and was probably pretty good at them you know what i mean it was athleticism and then eventually you get groomed for something right probably where that is and should be happening is is college where if there's a real skill related issue happening. That's where you're going to learn learn those techniques. Honestly, before that, your coaching is probably not good enough to, 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 to teach you those things. The average high school football coach is probably not teaching technique as well as they think they are. No offense. Maybe some of them, them are, but again, the average one is probably not doing that. Now, the exception to this, I think, is this this private club aaup sort of mentality that says if i only teach you this one thing you will have better skills what that probably does though is creates kid, players who are not necessarily as athletic as some of their 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 peers but are better only because they've cultivated those skills but i suspect that the it's the exception not the rule that those kids make it super far right i bet a lot of them get sized out i bet a lot of them get you know Sort of jaded or burnt out, um, but but I think that largely our professional sports are comprised of the best athletes who fell into the different sports for a variety of reasons. Most of which are not that they chose that sport when they were
0: nine or ten. So okay, if that's the case, right? If if it's just the fact by the time you get to age eighteen, it's going to be pretty clear that you are physically better than those around you. Do you think that there's plenty of damage that's being done in those eight years prior? I don't mean like. Overall, general, but um, like, do, are kids getting turned off by sports because of the experience they have from maybe age eight to eighteen? And is that a, is that is that playing into the negative uh, stigma that is attached to sports and sports consumption in our society now? Uh, you and I talk about sports; we just assume that people love watching sports. But as a professor, right, who 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 talks about sports probably too much. It's pretty clear that when I look at the faces of some of these kids, that they hate sports. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the experience they had uh, when they didn't have the option and they had to participate in, you know, little league baseball or something like that. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I don't
1: know that this is true based on data or even necessarily my personal experience, but I suspect that becoming a pro athlete, regardless of the path, That you take to do that, whether or not you're a three sport athlete, or whether or not you played AAUP basketball, or whether or not your mom and dad forced you to, or whether or not they just facilitated you playing it, or whether or not you played in big money leagues or 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 free um, sport leagues, I suspect that the that you made it is more random than winning the lottery, right? It's it's not. I don't think that it's true that any parent, if they really try hard and spend enough money and put their kid in the right situations that that will have much effect at all as to whether or not they become professional athletes. I really don't. Right. I think that it, if you do that, it was probably, it's not, it's probably not the overriding reason that they became pro. In fact, I would say maybe they became a professional in spite of that, not because of that. Right. Does that make sense that I, I really, I truly do believe it's athleticism. So the the secondary conclusion that I would draw again, based on nothing at all, just my instinct is that I'm certain that for as many players who have been pushed really hard by their parents uh, from a young age to focus on one single sport at the expenses of at the expense of vacations or playing with friends or or a social life or whatever or pursuing other interests that they might have encountered otherwise playing the guitar or being in drama club or being a debater or something like that for for everyone who's made it I suspect there are hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of horror stories of people who, you know, resent their, resent their dad because of it or resent their mom because of it. And I, 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 what I can say for sure is that I've seen it. I've seen it at, at my daughter's seven-year-old soccer games, parents where I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> chill out a little bit. And then I honestly, I've, I, I, one time was, was, was kind of not yelling at my kid, but speaking loudly in her direction. Like just, she oftentimes just gets distracted playing soccer and start to look around and I'm like, Hey, look at the ball. And even one dude was like, man, calm down. She's fine. And I was like, yeah, you know, I wasn't yelling at her because I wanted to win. I just wanted to pay pay attention, right? But I mean, even even some people might have seen me as being a little too over the top. And I would put myself at like a three out of 10 on that scale compared to what I've seen from other people. Usually, I just sort of sit there and watch and clap. You know what I mean? But I've definitely seen it. It's it's, it's like, I oh, man, I can't tell this story. Never mind.
0: Off the air story. <laughs> Off the air story. See, see that's what, all <laughs> subscribers, right? Maybe we'll have to put that out there. Patreon subscribers. That, that's why we need a Patreon account. Hey, I want to ask you one thing before um, we, we close up shop. If you could change one thing about youth sports or one or two things, is there anything that you would immediately change in how leagues are set up or how, you know, would you, I, I, I'll start. I think that every parent should have some sort of class. You should be required to attend a class. Um, you should also be required to umpire a, a game or, you know, serve as a referee for a soccer match. I think that that should be part of because you should be on the other side of the asshole parent yelling at you about a call in a third grade Little League game because, you know, that's, you need some, some empathy. You need some perspective. So immediately that's what I, you know, train the parents, right? As much as, as you're trying to, to govern the, the youth, train the parents. What about, what about you? Yeah.
1: No, no. I think, I, th- I think that, I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think, I think maybe something that would help a lot is that, that we try and teach kids how to play the game at a young age, as opposed to teaching them skills that are, that would be useful in the game, right? There's no reason to go out with your three-year-old and try and drop them in a soccer game. They're just going to run around and do what kids are going to do. Right. Does that make sense? Like teaching, teaching it more as let's do, let's do, let's play, let's play a silly games together that teach a skill set that later on when you're actually old enough to understand how a game works you can actually play that game and that feeds into a bigger thing for me which is i think i do think i do think we sort of and want our kids to play sports it, weirdly at the wrong ages right i don't understand 3 year old t ball like kids can't throw a ball they can't catch a ball they can't hit a ball soccer is a great sport to sport to start with not because i love it or because the world cup is going on right now but because the ball is intended to be on the ground Right. Does that make sense? You're not you don't have to keep it in the air, which is every other sport. You know, you need to pass the ball to someone in the air. That's volleyball. That's basketball. That's football. Those sports. You need a little bit more sort of dexterity um, to be able to have. So I think if, if we sort of scaled back when kids were playing what and sort of added skills as it went forward, that might help because I think part of it too is, is expectations like that. You're concerned about your kid winning a game that none of the kids on the field are capable of playing is mind blowing. Like we should all just be out there. Everything that you said is true. We should all just be out there being cheerleaders and supporting people. And, and again, I, I, I take, I take your point one, one step farther and say, you know, further and say volunteering, being a part of it, going out there and coaching and that, and that sort of stuff, I think. So it's not, I, I think a lot of people treat it like a service. When it's not like it's an hour of daycare, and I'm gonna leave my kid there and I'm gonna go sit on the side and look at my phone, or I'm gonna drop my kid off and I'm gonna leave. And you got one dude trying to, you know, herd 27 year olds, and it's impossible for him to do it. It's surprising how often there's not a bunch of other moms or dads out there who are just trying to help, stand around, shag balls, exactly be a part of it.
0: Mike, uh, Mike Pope just made a comment on our Facebook page, and I think he's kind of spot on. It's just, you know sports in a lot of ways can be used to teach us patience and perseverance and all of this and i think so many of of today's youth and even the parents who who bring these kids uh into leagues they want that instant gratification they want the game that's either win or lose and i understand like the value of losing and how that can be very productive but what you're pointing out is you know we're wanting these kids at 6 7 years old to play games in which people win and people lose and that can be like that's that's I, I suppose to me that's impatient because we should be teaching them the the skills the core skills that will actually improve the kind of play that they have by the time they're ten or twelve. And so yeah, I, I like that I like that criticism a lot, Brian. I think that's that's really solid. But like, how many of that? How much of that is being pushed forward by parents to have those competitive games? Like, I'm just imagining my kid really not giving a shit whether or not she was going to play a game at five years old that counted as winning and losing i don't under i don't think she understands what that means yet i don't think she cares and so you know everything it might just be better for her and kids that age to you know have an hour long practice instead of these games in which somebody wins and somebody loses just because it's not I don't know how beneficial it is now. That obviously that changes by the time you get twelve, thirteen, right? And those kinds of things are extremely important. Being able to to know what it means to win and know what it means to lose. But I think sport youth sports have become such a business and they become such a a, a a problematic way for parents to parent that uh, we need to kind of reconsider that and consider why we create these leagues and why we put our kids in sports. But do you have any closing comments?
1: Yeah, that that the point that you just brought up by um Michael was one that got discussed in um a, either a Radiolab episode or a or a This American Life episode and I can't find it, but there's a really good discussion about this this same phenomenon that people don't have the same competitive drive because of reset culture or something like that. And I think it's possible that Mike Gundy may have made similar similar comments that the players don't have like mental toughness anymore because because of something something like video games. So, well, while, well, while I, I think there might be something to that argument. I think there's also there's some good discussions about there about why that that statement in and of, in and of itself not that mike was saying this but might could be couched as sort of like one of those damn millennials sort of comments or whatever not saying you're saying that but it's worth sort of thinking about that when, when when we when we talk about that that concept the other thing just trying to find that podcast really quick what i found was there's just a rash of articles about why over competition on young kids is uh bad for their mental health there's tons of studies about this so um, yeah, I think all the stuff that we talked about today sort of points at maybe that formulating, you know, contributing to bad relationships or whatever. But it might be even worse than that. It might be setting kids up for, you know, tougher a tougher much, life mentally.
0: How much does that change the more the esports become on the rise too? I mean, the competitiveness in that is is obviously increasing as the money gets pumped into it. So it's going to complicate even that that theory um, of what's of what's to happen. But we are out of time for today, my friend. Everybody. If you don't already make sure you find us on Facebook. We're fb.me/sportsnerds. We're on Instagram at sports.nerds, and we are on Twitter underscore sportsnerds. You can reach us through all three of those platforms. We're also on YouTube. So if you want to go to our Facebook page, and then on the left you'll see a YouTube link. You can click on that and get us get us get yourself to uh, to our YouTube page. If you could subscribe to our page, that would be fantastic. So that way we can get you the the number where we can. Um, uh personalize our link that would be fantastic brian i uh, hope we covered all our bases today i think we did a good job it was nice to get the youth covers the youth sports conversation off the table because i do find it um somewhat uh exhausting it's just hard man and like parents are and it's mostly because of the parents it's all because of the parents it's it's rarely the child the kid and i know it's only gonna get more difficult as things become more competitive but all right, enjoy your second set of World Cup games, and we'll yeah, probably du- dive deep into some World Cup talk next week. But, uh, all right, old oh boy, you have a great day. Yeah, later. See ya.